The metaverse is emerging as the next big technology platform, attracting online game makers, social networks, and plenty of investment. And sure, there's lots of hype surrounding the metaverse, but there's also lots of substance, development, and exciting trends. On this podcast series, Into the Metaverse, brought to you by Bloomberg Intelligence, we will break down the biggest developments and bring on the most interesting minds who are building, investing in, and experiencing the metaverse. Welcome. Good evening. Good morning. Good afternoon. This is episode 11 of Into the Metaverse, the wonderful podcast that is hosted by myself, Jan Ras Friedman, co-founder and CEO of Super Social, and with Matthew Kenterman, senior analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. And today we have a, a really fantastic guest, Navidia's Rev Lebaredian. Rev, really great to have you here for our 11th episode. Really fantastic to have you here and, and diving into really what one of the most exciting and thrilling companies in technology today, and not just the metaverse, but generally speaking in technology, NVIDIA, where you are vice president of, of Omniverse and Simulation. I mean, just the titles, man. This is going to be an epic episode. So, you know, welcome, Rev. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here and I appreciate the opportunity to come talk to you. Awesome. So, Rev, really, we, we like to start with the first question in every episode for all of our guests, which is not only what is the metaverse, but also, and perhaps more importantly, what do you think the metaverse is not? To kick off, maybe also give a one line or a couple of lines on really what it means to be vice president of Omniverse and Simulation at NVIDIA. I think our audience will appreciate unpacking that incredible title. And then, you know, take us through how do you guys think about what is the metaverse and what the metaverse is not? Well, I'm actually old enough to remember a time before the, the World Wide Web existed and before everybody got onto the internet. I was actually a teenager when I first found the internet, like 14, 15 years old in the late 80s. I'm 46 now, by the way. It's not a big secret. So I, I found it pretty early. And I remember when, when the web happened, all of a sudden, the internet, this thing I'd been using for years that was all text-based and I dialed in with a 2400-baud modem into a Unix shell, it started becoming visual. And that democratized it. It made it accessible to others. And overnight, it just blew up. Now everybody wanted in on this thing. People would ask me, what is the internet? What is the web? And same question, same kinds of questions. And I would, one of the most interesting questions they would ask is, how big will it be? Like, how important is this thing? And it was impossible to really answer that question with any precision, because none of us can predict the future. But I remember back then saying, I think this is going to be the biggest thing we've ever known. Uh, you know, I've been reading sci-fi for many years at that point, and you know, especially William Gibson's books, Neuromancer and, and the short stories where he defined the matrix in cyberspace. It was clear that this is something new that's, that's just bigger than what we can comprehend. Back then, if, if you were to tell people that the biggest companies in the world are all going to be internet tech-related companies, this is 1993, not oil companies except for one, there's Saudi Aramco that's, that's up there, but all the rest are tech companies. They wouldn't believe you. And the global economy has grown by leaps and bounds because of this thing. I believe the metaverse is the same thing. 
just like in 1993, we couldn't tell how big it was and what it was exactly. This thing we're calling the metaverse or Web3 or whatever it ends up being called is a continuation of that. And the scale of it and the exact shape and feeling of it, we can't predict. But one thing I think we can be sure of is that it's going to be bigger than anything we've ever known. And what it isn't, there's this general idea that most people have about the metaverse being this thing where you put something on your face and you kind of look kind of funny waving your hands around with with like controllers and stuff in your hand and whatever this idea of VR or maybe maybe some AR devices or whatever those things are are part of it just like all of these devices that have come about in the years since the internet was discovered have become part of it but they don't define it your PC your phone your Whatever way you, you access the internet and the web is not the defining thing about it. The defining thing was all of this interconnectedness between computers and all of the data and the content that people are creating being available to everyone. And I think the metaverse is just a continuation of that. It's, it's a way to overlay a, a spatial sort of understanding of, of the things inside the internet uh, what we're going to populate it with is going to be essentially the, the the things that humankind has evolved to to understand throughout our hundreds of thousands of years or millions of years of evolution. So that's a long-winded way of, I think, answering a bunch of those questions. That was fantastic. And, and I think you hit on a lot of key points that, you know, Yon and I like to hit on and a lot of our prior guests have hit on. It's this, you know, the spatial awareness I think you're talking about bringing in real-time 3D. We talked about that with Mark Petit from Epic Games, making it you know more immersive that way, connecting the physical and the digital. I think that's what you're talking about. And the other key point that you hit on, what it is not, is something that we're really passionate about and trying to debunk that it's not you know, we're not going to have an army of people doing the thriller dance, walking around in the streets, wearing VR headsets. You know, that's not the dystopian future that I'm looking forward to. Right. I think that answer was real, was really, really good. You know, one, one question I wanted to ask, and I think there's a, a lot of people out there who are maybe trying to learn about the metaverse, learn about the different companies, understand the strategies and who's doing what. Um, there's a lot of companies that have made a lot of noise. And I think NVIDIA is one of the companies that you know, lets the products and the technology speak for itself. And, you know, so I think there's a lot of people that are just trying to understand what NVIDIA strategy actually looks like. What is the Omniverse platform? And so, you know, maybe you could just briefly provide an, an overview for, you know, if there's investors listening from the Bloomberg side, if there's tech people listening that are developing, what exactly is the platform? You know, a brief overview. And I think particularly, what do you think makes it such an exciting software layer for the metaverse? Most people, when they, when they think about NVIDIA, when we say the word NVIDIA, you think of a, either a chip or a graphics board, something you play video games on. And that isn't wrong. We do do those things. But from our inception, we've been, we've been more than a chip company. Actually, the form of computing that we pioneered, what, what we call accelerated computing, is about the full software stack on top of the hardware. Our chips are useless with, without the layers and layers of software on top of it, whether it's the drivers or, or the algorithms that are integrated into the applications, like the video games. Uh, it's not like a CPU. They're not general processors. They're really, really designed around accelerating a smaller set of extremely important applications. The first application that we targeted was real-time rendering 
primarily for games at the very inception of NVIDIA. 1993, same year the web was born, NVIDIA was born. We went after PC games. But we always knew that that's not where it was going to stop, that it was just that that was a really important problem. That's one of those endless problems we could keep investing in and justify putting more and more into each generation of the chips that we create along with the software stacks. That problem of rendering, if you think about it, is a um, form of simulation. What rendering is, the generation of these images from 3D worlds, is a simulation of how light, the physics of light, interacts with matter. We then went on to make our chips more programmable and opened it up to a wider set of applications uh, with CUDA and general purpose programming on GPUs. And that opened it up to high performance computing where we could simulate all kinds of physics, whether it's fluids or, or cloth and all of the things we see around us. More recently, about 10 years ago, we went to the next level, which was to start simulating intelligence or beginnings, the beginnings of that. We're not quite there yet, but the, this whole AI thing was born on top of that same technology, accelerating this core algorithm. So at our core, NVIDIA is essentially the computing maker, the computing stack for simulation of all things that you might put in a world. We simulate the physics of light and matter. We simulate general physics, and now we're simulating intelligence. When you combine all those things together, you end up with a full world. We believe our place, our unique contribution to this thing we're calling the metaverse and the future of computing is powering all of the simulation necessary to do this. And that's not just a hardware problem. It's a combined software and hardware problem. What we're building with Omniverse is essentially two things, two sides of the same coin. We are first building all of the connections to existing tools and ways of ingesting pieces of the worlds we, we need to put together. We need to assemble a virtual world. So this can come from computer vision, from ingesting stuff around, around us inside the actual reality we live in, or they can come from designs that are in designers' minds, translated into a 3D object through CAD tools. It can come from many sources, but all of these tools and techniques we have to ingest this data is not standardized today. It's not like the web where, where you can go to any website and despite what browser you're using on whatever device, see the same web page. All of this content is, is completely different because 3D is much more complex and harder than describing a web page. We're doing a lot of work to standardize the general description of these virtual worlds that will comprise the, the metaverse. And in doing that, we're also building a lot of connections to existing tools out there in all of the different industries that matter to kind of prime the pump here and get, get the standards going. Once we can construct these large worlds that are high fidelity, that accurately describe uh, the physics or the physical properties of stuff in that world, we can then simulate it. And so what we're focusing on is building a runtime, a system that will let you simulate at the highest accuracy and fidelity possible in real time, given enough compute. So 
if you have a problem like you need to simulate your factory or simulate the earth or simulate a whole city with everything going on in there and you need you need to do this at an extremely large scale and extremely high fidelity so that it's indistinguishable from the real world today there's no way to do that because the existing simulation engines that are out there are limited to running on relatively small computers they run on consoles or or single PCs throwing more computing power at it doesn't doesn't allow you to scale up so with omniverse we're building a system that will allow us to do these these real time high fidelity world simulations on supercomputers what a wonderful lesson <laughs> this i felt like i'm sitting in front of kind of a lecture you're so articulate and you gave us such a great lesson and especially i think for our audience that is listening kind of a, a lesson in history of where nvidia is coming from and where where it is and where it's going and then really unpacking the the layer of what are you really really doing with with the omniverse and you know one thing that as a kind of nano question to to what you just described is as the complexities of 3d simulated worlds versus the what's happening with web pages today i have a question do you believe obviously a lot of people are talking about these these open metaverse uh, full interoperability across everything very much like we have with 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 web pages right do, do you believe that that's a technically feasible that there is going to be that sort of full interoperability shared standard and protocols that would really enable not only a simulated real-time 3d worlds but simulated 3d worlds that are interconnected do you believe that it's technically feasible and second is that realistic given the way that the internet now behaves with mega corporation that control certain platforms what's your sort of POV on, on, on those? So the first question is, is it technically possible? And the second question is, is it practical given, given the economics and, and, and uh, politics of the corporate superpowers that, that are out there? On the first one, I don't see why it's not technically possible. We have to either choose to do it or not. It's a lot of work. It's going to be really hard. And we don't know what all those standards should be. It's going to take time to get there. But we, we've seen that happen before. When there is a will, people figure it out. If you look at the web in 1993 with HTML1, then you look at HTML5 almost 20 years later. It was, I think, around 2010 or so when they uh, officially declared HTML5 done. 17 years, 17, 18 years between them. There was a lot of work that happened in between And a lot of the things we ended up with as part of the standards were surprising. I wouldn't have guessed JavaScript would be the primary language that drives the internet. Nobody would have uh, expected that. Uh, but nowadays, we can compile C++ to a form of JavaScript that runs in your browser with WebAssembly. Like this is an engineering marvel that that even works. But uh, where there's a will, there's a way. So I think, I think we will figure it out. The second question is, will these standards emerge when there are those that want to keep their walled gardens and their islands and stuff kind of uh, have control over them? I have to believe that that's just not sustainable. Foundation of the internet, TCPIP, you know, how we actually communicate and route with each other. If everybody had their own, 
then it just wouldn't exist. Sort of by definition, for the metaverse to exist, there must be interoperability. And maybe one company might decide they don't want to participate. But if enough of the other ones do, then they're going to be forced to, just like it happened with the internet. I remember before, before the web, we had a whole bunch of these services, CompuServe and Genie and, and AOL and, and whatnot. And they, they all had to go connected to the internet because it was just too big a force. No one company is as big as everyone else, all the other companies combined. So I'm optimistic. I do agree. And I think the other thing that ties into that, and we talked about this on one of our episodes with uh, Yusfen Drunen, we can't lose sight of fun. I think users will go where the fun is, and there's no guarantee that these walled gardens will be the most fun places in the metaverse. And then so by nature, they will be broken down. So, you know, but I totally agree that I think users vote with their feet. And I think in the metaverse, there'll be more opportunities to do that. So I'm cautiously optimistic that we can break down some of these walled gardens in, in the next iteration of the internet. Yeah, and I think the, the mistake many make is in believing that they need to compete with everyone else and kind of own their piece of it. If you believe that the, the metaverse is going to be even bigger than the internet as we know it, then it's a really huge pie. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done. We don't have to go fight over the same thin slice of that pie. Just go find the piece that you are uniquely suited to to go build and go do that and work with others. We can all succeed and, and make money and have joy together. This is a really hard problem. It's it, No one company can solve all of these things. So it's really important that everybody understands where they fit in that and what they can contribute because so I, I think if anyone tries to do all of it, they're just going to fail. They're going to boil the ocean and um, it won't work. I want to dive into one of the core technologies being built within the Omniverse platform. That's the Omniverse Avatar Suite, because, you know, I think we spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about the realm of possibilities that can be developed out of avatars, you know, whether it's the business opportunities, like selling cosmetics and really creating digital virtual selves. But we haven't actually dug into the technology underlying how these things actually work. <laughs> and NVIDIA's leadership in AI is clearly an advantage when it comes to avatar creation. But you know, maybe you could help us think, you know, what differentiates some of the tools and technologies that your team is building versus others out there? You know, I think of like Epic's metahuman technology and things like that. Maybe just your thoughts overall on this burgeoning, what Kathy Hackle called and a few others on here called the direct-to-avatar economy and, and how you're building the tools to enable that. Yeah, I think the, the word avatar is pretty overloaded. Generally, when you say that word, people think of the kinds of things you have in a gaming experience where you have some representation of yourself like projected there. Our view of what avatars are, or omniverse avatar, is a bigger set of things than just that. You can think of these avatars, these digital beings, these humans inside this 3D virtual space as a sort of robot. Basically, there's no distinction between a robot and one of these, these characters that are, that are inside these worlds. Now, if you have a real robot, if you're lucky enough, be able to program it so that it's smart enough to act on its own. That's an autonomous kind of robot. But there are many robots that, that aren't that intelligent. They're actually controlled by humans. You can teleoperate them. You can fly your drones or, or on underwater submersibles or, or a mech of some sort. And so we think of the, the avatars as essentially the robot 
kind of body, the physical manifestation of it in the virtual world. And they're going to be driven by many different things, by AIs and humans or some combination of them. The problem, though, is extremely difficult, especially when we try to get closer and closer to how humans actually look and behave inside the real world. When you're talking about cartoony sorts of representations, the problem's hard, but it's tractable. Creating humans, any creature, but especially humans, that are indistinguishable from real ones is an extremely hard problem. My background before joining NVIDIA 20 years ago is visual effects and rendering in particular. It's been the sort of ultimate challenge, creating humans that don't creep you out, again, in the uncanny valley. It's because we're, we're experts at interpreting humans. Any tiny difference in a human face or the skin or something, even if you can't put words to it, you can feel that that thing is, is not quite right. It's like a, it's dead or lifeless, like a zombie or robotic. And so, so we've invested as an industry in, in research and computer graphics, countless, countless research engineering years in trying to solve this problem, and we haven't solved it yet. So at NVIDIA, computer graphics is, is part of our core mission. It's in our soul. It's our passion. And we do plenty of research as well as, as in, in addition to creating our products. And so we feel that this is a worthy thing to invest in. And uh, no one company is going to create all of the things necessary to create these realistic humans. There are many great attempts and great things out there, like MetaHumans is awesome, but there's many pieces to it that still need to be built. Within Omniverse, we have this one technology that we've released called Audio to Face that can take vocal audio and automatically drive the facial animation of any character, human or creature or anything you can rig up. So this is a step towards democratizing one of the hardest problems in, in content creation. Facial animation is a notoriously difficult thing to do and requires, you know, the people who do it have like decades of expertise and all that. We're trying to make it really easy. We've connected that up to Unreal Engine and can drive metahumans with it. So the, the way we look at it is with Omniverse Avatar, you get a suite of all of the technologies that we're pioneering, the parts that other people are probably not doing. That's why we're investing in that. Through Omniverse, it can be connected to any of the, the, the tools and engines and software out there that could benefit from those components. You were talking about really difficult to you know, create digital versions of humans. Spoiler alert for The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett, but I'm just I'm thinking of like the zombie Luke Skywalker that everyone made fun of. Like, it's such a cool technology that they're able to do it. You know, it's really not fair. They're so mean. I've been on the other end of that for years. It is so hard to do, and kudos to ILM. They've done a really excellent job. We haven't totally cracked the problem, uh, totally solved it, but they've made big strides. And just the fact that a TV show can have that, that much of a digital human and an iconic one that everybody knows what, what, what Luke Skywalker should look like and behave like, it's an extremely difficult problem. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't belittle it. We should uh, give a shout out to all of the engineers and artists that, that work so hard to, to entertain everyone and advance this technology. I mean, without the work that they've been doing all, all these decades, we wouldn't be where we are today. And we definitely won't be 
wouldn't be able to go where we're going. Absolutely. And it'll be really exciting to see, you know, where these technologies go, you know, over the next decade. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Right on, right on, Rev. I want to double click on one of the things that NVIDIA is obviously known for building technologies and capabilities really for the high end of, of, of multiple industries. I personally operate today with my company on a, on a platform called Roblox, which really democratized kind of 3D game creation, right? For a whole new audience, a whole new generation of developers. As you think about the future and these technologies becoming more accessible and more accessible to a wider and wider generation, you know, we've recently seen the tool that you've made available inside Omniverse, so kind of for consumer-facing application and, and experimentation. How do you think about NVIDIA as, you know, Omniverse, about the capabilities that NVIDIA is developing for the high end of, of the industries? Is there worlds where and, and time at which you believe these type of technologies will be democratized and made accessible for a wider group of creators and builders. You know, we live in a world today where a 12-year-old kid in London makes half a million dollars on an NFT, right? We live in this crazy world where everyone can potentially become a creator, of course, with a certain kind of heavy lifting on, on technical capabilities and competency. But you guys are really developing state-of-the-art, best-in-class, top-end um, capabilities and technologies. Do you envision that things like Omniverse ultimately will find themselves at the hands of, of a much, much wider pool of creators around the world? That's precisely what we're betting on. We, we've been betting on that since the inception of our company, the democratizing 3D, 3D graphics and simulation from the very start. Back when NVIDIA started in 1993, the only way you could do high-end computer graphics in real time was to go buy a, a half-million-dollar uh, SGI computer. So that's, that's kind of what we're all about from, from the start. I've been doing computer graphics, 3D computer graphics, since the mid-'80s. My, my, the first computer I wrote, my first ray tracer on was an Amiga. And to this day, I still can't actually create a 3D scene correctly or the, what, what's in my mind projected into, into geometry and textures the way I imagine it. I can go write all the software and I can hand it over to uh, some amazing artists and they always surprise me with the things that they can do with it. But it's just really hard. 3D graphics is unique in that it's the only medium left that hasn't been democratized. If you look at every other fo uh, form of media, whether it's the written word, I mean, we went from monks tra transcribing Bibles by hand their, over their whole lifetimes you know, just a select few people to, to now anybody can write a blog or tweet or do whatever, right? And not only did we democratize the ability to, to create and write it, but distribute it. We did the same for music. You know, when I was a kid, uh, if you wanted to record an album, you had to have somebody bankroll you $50,000 for a day in a studio somewhere. But now anybody can create it on their laptop or even phone at higher production quality than what you could do back in the early 90s. And video, video got democratized. The big invention was the camcorder that essentially brought creating films, creating moving pictures to, to anyone, it became affordable. And then we took it a few more notches. Now, any, any child with a, a phone or a tablet 
is a videographer. Not only can they go create those films, they can go distribute it on YouTube or, or elsewhere and become big. But 3D and the things, the, the forms of media that use it have not been democratized in the same way. We're still pretty far from it. To do visual effects at the level ILM can do it or build a AAA game, you know, if you're going to build God of War or Grand Theft Auto or something like that, that just takes, it takes hundreds or thousands of artists working on every, every detail, every nook and cranny of these virtual worlds for many, many years. And, and even then, these worlds are still not as big as we want them to be and as rich and as complex. It's still not quite there. Fortunately, there's been a fundamental shift, a change in the force. This past 10 years, AI technology has been literally exponentially uh, advancing, getting better and better. So for the first time, I believe, we have, we have the hope, we have the possibility of democratizing a lot of the uh, uh, necessary skills to do the basics of 3D content creation. All this stuff that's really, really painful, that you know, moving vertices one by, by hand and painting, painting texels and, and all of that, with AI, we have the potential for providing to even a child a method by which they can take the image that's in their head, the idea they have in their head, and transform that into a virtual world that's at the same quality level or more than, than what we can produce today with our most skilled artists. That doesn't mean the, the skilled artists won't have a job, mind you. It's not like the fact that YouTube and, and video cameras on your phones exist somehow did away with filmmakers who, who make all of these TV shows like The Mandalorian and, and movies that, that, that we enjoy. The same will be, I, I believe, will be the case with video games and visual effects, but, but now we have the chance to democratize it. If we don't do that, if we can't find a way to do that, then there will be no metaverse. It's hard to imagine the web and the internet being what it is today if only a small percentage of the population on Earth could make a web page. The key was that the, the same people that were consuming what's on the internet and the web could also contribute to building it and to adding things in there. So this must happen for there to be a metaverse. We have no other choice. So a couple of things I just want to highlight that, that you know, Rev, you've described and kind of maybe tying them together for our audience and maybe first as a side note, when, when Rev is saying ILM, he talks about industrial light and magic, which is the you know, incredible Disney division uh, that came together with Lucasfilm back in the day to Disney. The two things you've mentioned, which I think I want to call out as super critical to the metaverse, to, to the, for the metaverse to truly emerge. The one thing we talked about earlier was there has to be interoperability, full interoperability across experiences, across platforms. So that's the number one. The second thing, which is just mentioned, is there has to be democratization of 3D creation. And not just to you know, smaller organizations and companies, but also to individuals. Just like you said, the democratization of text, democratization of music, video, and so on and so forth, really all contributed to the emergence of, of the internet and, and web creation as we know it today, and probably contributed to the fact that today more young people want to be YouTubers than they want to be, you know, astronauts. 
right? And so I definitely can see a future where anyone is going to want to be a creator of 3D worlds and virtual worlds. It's already happening, not in a fully distributed, fully democratized way. So I just wanted to call out these two things because for the metaverse to emerge, they have to happen. We need democratization of the capabilities to build virtual worlds, and we need the full interoperability. Those things are, are prerequisites. They're, they must exist for there to be a metaverse. Those were the same conditions we had for the web. And without it, we can't imagine those existing. So it has to happen. And we believe that NVIDIA can contribute in unique ways to both, both those things, to both helping create standards uh, and interoperability, as well as new technologies and AI to help with that democratization. We can't do it alone, but we can be a major contributor in this. And NVIDIA, if you look at all of the tech companies out there and everybody doing AI, we're somewhat unique in that we essentially work with every other company. We're kind of neutral. We're a Switzerland. So we recognize that and, and take it as our burden to go advance, help advance these standards because we can work with everyone. It's much harder for for some of those entities to, to agree on things, but we can, we can act as a, a moderator and neutral participant who's very interested in and has a good reason for, for having this interoperability. And I think just lastly, before we wrap up, a lot of our conversations, we've, we've talked with people from the blockchain crypto community. Whenever we start talking about interoperability, it does lead itself to some semblance of a conversation about decentralization and in those technologies, you know, quote unquote web three, but I don't like to use that term anymore because it's it's used for like six different things now. But just in general, you know, blockchain crypto technologies and their intersection with the metaverse. You know, do you and your team have any thoughts on how that can play in to the metaverse down the road, how that fits in with the omniverse strategy potentially? You know, just curious your thoughts there. Yeah, all of those things are important. We need to get to a point where you have identity that could move between the metaverse equivalent of a website. We need ways of, of moving our items with us and capabilities and, and all of those things. I don't think it's, it's for NVIDIA to go create all of those technologies, but like with everything else we were discussing earlier, we're going to be powering them, at least a lot of it. Blockchain and crypto and all, digital currencies, they're still very nascent. Right now, I don't. I don't think we know exactly what the right solution is yet, and um, you know, fortunately, it's evolving very quickly. There's a lot of competing ideas and standards and stuff out there. I think it'll sort itself out over the coming years, and whatever it is, Nvidia, our, our computers will probably be behind that, and it'll interoperate with with our with our tools, whatever that thing is. What we're primarily focused on with interoperability is the is kind of the low-level plumbing, the nuts and bolts of how once you've decided that this item should move from this virtual world in the metaverse to this other one, how does that happen technically? What are the formats for this thing? How do you compute the behavior of it? How do we standardize that stuff? And I think I think that's somewhere where we can concretely contribute right now. And that's something that's in our wheelhouse. We don't have digital currencies. We don't have app stores. We don't have things like that. So, so we're, not at, we're not in a position to go contribute on that front like others can. 
That totally makes sense. You know, I've, I was, I've been listening to the, the tokenomics podcast, which is from, you know, a bunch of my buddies over at Deconstructor of Fun and Ethan Levy, you know, he was talking about like, you know, do you expect me to like design board apes into every one of my games as, and have people do the art style and everything so that way maybe they can eventually show up and play my game with their board ape NFT? Like that that's really expensive for me to do for potentially zero return. So we definitely need, as you were saying, you know, standards and plumbing to make this stuff work, you know, much more seamlessly. Maybe it's AI based. So that way the art style from Roblox can translate to the art style of Fortnite or whatever future metaverse platform there is. Cause I think right now it just seems so clunky. It just, it can't happen yet. Yeah. And uh, what we've seen with AI so far, there's no reason to believe that won't be technically possible in the not too distant future. Style transfer is one of the first things we did. We've been doing it with images, but there's ways of doing style transfer with 3D. A lot of it pioneered by, by NVIDIA. We have AI lab within the Omniverse team led by Professor Sonia Fiddler from University of Toronto. Uh, we have a large team that, that is primarily focused on AI for 3D content creation. And so they have they have these sorts of technologies that they're researching and it looks really promising. I think, I think that's going to happen. That's a great way to, uh, to wrap up. I, I have to say, Rev, and I'm sure I speak on behalf of Matthew, I can, it's, it's almost 9 PM Eastern time, but I can probably continue for at least a few more hours. And we may, we may have to invite you to for a second run at some point in the future, because this has been just fantastic. Thank you so much for the perspective, the, the time to explain and give a bit of lesson of history to those who forgot and those who didn't know. I think we've learned a lot tonight and you left a lot of food for thought and a lot of questions which we're going to want to think about. But, you know, thank you so much for, for joining us tonight. It's been, it's been thrilling. Thank you for having me. It's been, a, it's been a real pleasure and I'd be more than happy to continue this some other time. I can ramble on forever too, for hours. <laughs> this is my favorite topic. <laughs>